everybody. This is the uh, Shir on the book of Yechezkel, Iluin Yishmosim Ephraim Shmuel Ben Avram Arya Cohen and Chaya Tovabas Eliezer Mendel Cohen. Where we're up to, we're uh, uh, looking at an, a real, really an epilogue of chapter 10 and looking at a particular event that took place in chapter 10 that needs explaining. Um, as we started to discuss last week, in chapter 10 we had the story of Gabriel, the uh, man dressed in white, the angel dressed in white, disobeying God. Um, he was supposed to pick up the coals. Uh, he didn't do so. He was supposed to throw them on, you, on the coals on Yerushalayim. He didn't do so. And then he lied about that he'd done so. And as a result, he was thrown out, as the Gemara discusses in Yuma, he was thrown out of the inner sanctum, so to speak, of the upper angels for 21 years. And um, he was beaten 60 times with a pulse of the Nura, with a fiery pulse. And uh, we started to have a discussion, uh, what did he do during those 21 years? So, we had the background of it we did last week. So, I, I want to push on with the story um, and uh, try and explain what this story is all about. How can it possibly be that a, an angel, uh, particularly an angel like Gabriel, can deliberately disobey God and uh, hope to get away with it? How is it possible that an angel can disobey God in any case? He's got no free will or very limited free will. Um, so, this crosses over into a story that relates to Daniel. Remember that Gabriel has been uh, exiled, so to speak, from the upper echelons of um, the heavenly realm for 21 years. So, let's go back to the story we were discussing last week. Um, I did send out, I asked Larry and I, he did send out the timeline that uh, Mark May asked for. So, that, that was uh, posted on the WhatsApp group. Um, so, let's go back to the year 370 or 371 BCE. It was, uh, Larry posted it. Larry, Larry posted it, I saw it. I saw it posted. Um, on the uh, Yechezkel um, WhatsApp group. If you, want me to send, if you want me to send it to you by email, I'll do so. Just um, send, me an, send me an email, I'll do so. Um, Okay, so back to the story. We're in the year 370 or 371 BCE. And as we discussed last week, Daniel is beginning a 21-year period of mourning after Cyrus the Great suspends the reconstruction of the Second Temple. And what did he do? So, from the book of Daniel, we know in chapter 10, this is what he did. Lechem chamudos lo For 21 years, he, ne- he ate no proper bread. Some say it was white bread, but uh, he didn't eat proper bread. He didn't eat fresh bread. Um, he said, I, I didn't eat any meat. I didn't drink any wine. The uh, self I, I didn't rub oil into my skin. I didn't use any uh, type of oils, which is actually the source. This is this posuk is the source for not doing things like that on Yom Kippur. Ad until the completion of three weeks of days, 21 years. At which point, or then, after he made this declaration of a 21-year mourning period, on 
on the 24th day of the month of Nisan, I was uh, beside the great river Tigris. But I saw his Ainai, I looked up, looked up, and I saw a man dressed in white linen. Now we know who that is. Um, that's our man. That's our man Gabriel. Uh, he had a, a belt of gold studded with jewels. So here, we're starting to get somewhere. Uh, Daniel is on a 21-year period of mourning, and he bumps into our man from the book of Yechezkel, Gabriel. Um, com- um, coincidentally, he's on a 21-year furlough, or 21-year gardening leave, uh, from his primary mission, or his primary job, in the upper echelons of the heavenly realm. Um, and just just so you know it's true, uh, both Yechezkel and Daniel, who knew each other, um, from Babylonia, and possibly from before, uh, as we'll see later on in the book, both describe Gabriel as Ish Lavush Badim, the man clad in white linen. And now Daniel describes what he saw, describes him. His body was like marble. And his face was like the appearance of lightning. And his eyes were like firebrands. And his arms and legs were like the appearance of shiny copper. And when he spoke, the sound that came out of his mouth was like the sound of a huge amount of people. Very, very loud. So, all in all, uh, what Gabriel was seeing, Gabriel, um, what Daniel was seeing was Gabriel in the flesh, so to speak, if you can describe an angel as in the flesh. And what he's describing is a really frightening sight. Um, and Daniel, Daniel reports in the next verse, uh, I, I, Daniel, I, I was the only one that saw this vision of Gabriel. Uh, and the men who were with me, they never saw what was going on. But a great trembling fell upon them. And they fled into hiding. Now, the men that were with him uh, in this vision that uh, Gabriel, that Daniel saw, but these other three didn't see him. These three uh, were the final three prophets of Israel. We're studying at the moment on Sunday and Tuesday morning. Chagai, Zechariah, Malachi. They were with him, but they didn't see anything. But they uh, they felt that something wasn't right, and they ran for their lives. Now Daniel reports what happened after seeing Gabriel. But Ani Nisharati Levadi. After these three guys. Chagai, uh, Zachary, and Malachi, these three prophets ran away. I was left alone. But And uh, I saw this great vision. Uh, and afterwards I was drained of strength. Uh, and my energy was completely destroyed. Um, I could, couldn't sum up, summon up any strength in my body. I was crestfallen. I was on the floor. By Yomar Eli. And Gabriel said to me, Al Tirah Daniel. 
Don't be afraid, Daniel. From the day that you decided to fast, you decided to mourn these 21 years, uh, before God, um, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words, because of your actions, because of your declaration, of mourning. I've been sent to come and assist you. Um, the Gemara then says that uh, Gabriel says to Daniel, Va'ani bossi bidvorecho, like I came, I've come because of your words. It means that, that when Daniel decided to mourn for 21 years, meaning the 21 years that we discussed last week, um, uh, I didn't mention this at the start, but the Gemara says that the 21 years that Gabriel was exiled from the upper realms, Another angel replaced him. And the angel that replaced him was the angel Dubiel. Dubiel was the, is the angel of the Persian Empire. And, um, so, and Daniel reports this. We know, we know, I mentioned this last week. Daniel actually reports this. Um, just, uh, read the verse. Yes, this is Daniel from the same chapter. The Sar Malchus Pras Omed Lenegdi. The angel of the kingdom of Persia, Dubiel, was standing against me, Esrim Ba'echod Yom, for 21 years. So, we've got uh, Daniel, the situation we've got here is Daniel has fasted for, tw- or fasted, he's in a mourning period for 21 years. At the same time, Gabriel's been thrown out of heaven um, for 21 years. And the reason why Daniel's fasting is because Gabriel's been replaced in heaven by the Sar Paras, by the angel of the Persian Empire who's causing trouble for the Jewish people. Um, so, uh, it appears, certainly from Daniel's perspective, what uh, Gabriel has said to him, is that I've come, I have come to you to help you out during this 21 periods uh, 21 year period that the Persian angel Dubiel has replaced me in the inner court upstairs in heaven after my, I, I was thrown out. Um, so when Gabriel was, was exiled and punished with these 60 pulses of the Nora, these pulses of fire, uh, it appears that his mission after he was thrown out, so we're getting to a point here where maybe he wasn't actually thrown out, maybe he was actually sent on a mission. His mission was to come and spend time with that 21-year period with Daniel, because there's no coincidence here that 21 years Gabriel was thrown out of the upper realms, and that signaled 21 years of Daniel fasting, or Daniel mourning, going through a mourning period, and Gabriel suddenly arrives to help him out. Um, and as, we, as I just mentioned to you, Daniel actually said that he actually noticed that the Persian angel, Dubiel, was exerting evil, evil influences in heaven for the Jewish people, um, and um, and uh, that was going on for 21 years, and that here's Gabriel trying to help him out. And that was the catalyst for Daniel's 21 years of mourning. Um, and this mourning, by the way, of Daniel was completely justified, because during these 21 years that the Persian angel Dubiel replaced Gabriel in the upper angelic, in the inner angelic court, he caused a lot of trouble. 
uh, as the Gomorrah in, in, in Yuma describes, Dubiel made demands on behalf of his own nation, on behalf of the Persian nation, um, the following. These are, these are what he demanded. He demanded that a document be written that the, the regular Jews uh, must be subordinate to the Persians while they lived in their country. They must pay taxes and they must pay homage to the Persians. Uh, he insisted that a document be written that the rabbis must also... Now, rabbis, generally speaking, in the Babylonian exile and later on the Persian exile, were exempt from taxation uh, as ministers of religion. Um, but he wanted a document signed that the rabbis had to pay tax, they had to pay homage to the Persians, and that the Persians should have full control of the Jewish people and their leaders whilst they resided in Persia. Um, so during this, during this period, the Gemara says that the heavenly court writes up both of these documents at the insistence of this angel Dubiel. But now the documents need to be signed. They need to be signed and sealed by the based in Shalmala, the based in, the upper based in. And um, the Gemara says that Dubiel, <coughs> the Persian angel, or the angel of the Persian Empire, takes the documents to be signed and sealed. Exactly who signs and seals them is not clear. Um, while he's taking the documents to be signed, Gabriel, who is on the outside looking in, and he's trying to help Doniel out, he's been banished for 21 years for insubordination, and now he's trying to help Daniel through this 21-year mourning period, Gabriel speaks up from behind the curtain, the Gemara says. He shouts over. He's not allowed in, but he shouts through the curtain. It's called the Paragod. The Paragod, the curtain that divides the uh, upper realms of heaven with the lower realms of heaven. And he shouts out from behind the curtain, from behind the barrier of the inner heavenly court from which he'd been banished. And Gabriel now objects to these decrees being signed. And he makes two efforts to have these decrees abandoned, abrogated. And his first attempt is like this. His first attempt is, he quotes a posset from Tehillim, <coughs> written by David HaMelech. This is in the 127th chapter of Tehillim. It's a very strange posset, verse 2, uh, chapter 127, verse 2. And this is his first appeal directly at the heavenly court. And this is the posuk. Shav lochem mashkime kum me'achore sheves. It is inappropriate for you who rise early and sit up late. Ochle lechem ho'atzovit. To eat the bread, their bread, in sorrow. Ki yitain liyedido sheina. For God gives his beloved people sleep and respite. Now, what on earth does this verse mean? And um, what's Gabriel's argument here? So, the Gemara says that this verse is, um, uh, is talking about and what Gabriel is, is, is claiming here, or the defense that Gabriel is putting up on behalf of Daniel, um, is explaining this verse. This verse this verse refers to the wives of the Torah scholars who rise up early in the morning to work um, and who stay up late waiting for their husbands to return from their learning of Torah 
and they do this for the sake of God and for the honour of the Torah and therefore they should merit the world to come which is the language of Yitain Liyadido Shena that God gives sleep to his beloved people he means uh, in the world to come so that, that's the way you read the Apostles it's inappropriate for you who rise early you women who get up early in the morning uh, to make your husband's breakfast and to make, send the kids off to school and to do all the things that women do during the day and then later on who sit up who sit up work late working hard in the house uh, to feed their husbands and make sure their husbands uh, have got a meal to come to when they come home it's inappropriate that they should eat the bread of sorrow they should be oppressed it's not appropriate because because God is supposed to give his beloved people sleep he's supposed to give his, his beloved people respite from persecution so that's that uh, Gabriel's first attempt and uh, he's appealing on behalf of the women not on behalf of the women but he's using the women the women of the uh, Jewish people um, who've got tremendous zuchiyot and and um, he wants this um, these decrees that are about to be signed against the Jews in Persia to be revoked on that basis and he says he quotes that verse and he says is this the reward of these people is this the reward that these righteous women of Israel deserve to pay more taxes to be oppressed um, by the Persians to be under the rule of my replacement the Persian angel Zubiel after all, they get up early in the morning and they go to bed late to support their husband's Torah learning by working long hours. Should they now be taxed by the Persians as this angel Dubiel demands? Is that justice? That's Gabriel's first attempt. He's not trying to get back in. He's just making the case for Daniel because Daniel sees darkness over the next 21 years. And, and remember, the base of English is not going to be completed for another, tw- or uh, be rebuilt for another 21 years. And he's waiting and he's waiting. So he's in this, on, in this mourning period. And Gabriel, and Gabriel is sounding the alarm and asking questions from the outside looking in. And the heavenly court listened to Gabriel and reject his argument. And Gabriel was not, at this time, was not readmitted to the heavenly court to make his case um, and it appears that Gabriel's first attempt to, he- to help Daniel seems to have failed but although his first attempt to regain his own status and help Daniel his own status to remove Dubiel and regain his own status in the heavenly court has been rebuffed by the heavenly court um, and resume his primary task of defending the nation of Israel it seems that wasn't successful, but there is a positive byproduct of his first attempt. The heavenly court now did allow Gabriel to make an appeal. Uh, we all know about uh, courts; you can have a verdict go against you, but you can give, be given the right to appeal to a higher authority. And here, the heavenly court rejected his argument, but allowed Gabriel an opportunity to address the um, appellant court, the supreme court to address God directly. And now the Gomorrah continues. This is his second address. 
God addresses, Gabriel addresses God directly. Ribbon Shalom, Master of the Universe. Remember, he's already made an appeal by referencing the women. Now he's going to make an appeal by referencing Daniel. He says, if all the wise men of the whole world were placed on one side of the scale, and Daniel, Ishchamudos, your beloved man, were on the other side, was on the other side of the scale, would he not outweigh them all? And, uh, and, uh, he's suffering. And he's the greatest. And he, 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 even if these women maybe deserve to be suffering, and maybe the Talmudic Chachomim deserve to be suffering in exile. But Daniel doesn't deserve it. So God said, this is the Gemara continues, God said, who is this who is singing my child's virtues? And the heavenly court said to God, Master of the Eunice, Rebona Shalom, it is Gavriel. And God said to them, let him come from behind the partition. Let him be re- admitted. Let him take his place and replace Dubiel. That's the Gomorrah says, Gavriel's second attempt to help Daniel by removing Dubiel, the Persian angel, is successful. Gavriel is readmitted. And he now can assist Daniel, and we'll see that the base of Middash will be rebuilt in short order. And uh, this is what he promised him. He promised Daniel. He promised him. If you remember, promised him. If you remember, we just said the verse: Min hayom From the first day that you decided to go into this mourning and fasting period in front of your God, Nishmu your words were heard. I was here, I have come to help you out, to take your words to God. And that's exactly what he did. Meaning that Gabriel now was finally admitted or permitted to re-enter from behind the heavenly partition because he mentioned Daniel's name and Gabriel uses Daniel's 21 year vow of prayer and mourning to get reinstated. And Gabriel tells Daniel, Ani bossi bidvorecho. I've come to you because of your words. In other words, between us, you've helped me out and I've helped you out. By, by quoting your name, I've got myself reinstated. And by you fasting, by you fasting, you have ensured that the base of England's second temple is going to be rebuilt. Because now I can go and replace this evil angel, not evil angel, but this angel of the Persians in heaven, and the Persians will very shortly uh, give permission under Darius for the second temple to be your, to be rebuilt. And Gabriel tells Daniel, I used your example to defend the Jewish people and prove my point. And at that moment, God said to the other angels, let Gabriel descend to his, ascend to his rightful place. And the heavenly court brought Gabriel back in and the status quo is um, brought back. The status quo will revert to the status quo. And now Gabriel is back there, back in his place and um, everything can go forward. Daniel's uh, mourning period can end. Gabriel, Daniel's 21 year mourning period can end. Um, Gabriel's 21 year Exile from the heavenly court can end and Dubiel is thrown out and we're back. The status quo is reconfirmed.
everything is back in its place. That's the end of the Gemara. Now, that's not it. That's just the start. Now, here's something that, uh, as I mentioned last week, this is uh, my take on this. I want to put all the pieces together and work out how this story of Daniel um, affects our story of Gabriel's insubordination and punishment and expulsion from heaven here in Yechezkel chapter 10. Remember, he didn't obey God um, uh, regarding the destruction of Yushalayim with fire. Uh, he was supposed to pick up the fire himself, and he didn't. We'll come on to that in a second. Just yeah, just give you a reminder of Gabriel's supposed subordination here in Yechezkel in chapter 10. Originally, God told Gabriel to take the coals from between, between the feet of the angels, the chayos, and throw them at the city. Did Gabriel do these things? Yes, he did. His insubordination, however, was twofold. Number one, he was to- told to take the coals himself, but he waited for one of the chayos to hand them to him. That wasn't, uh, that wasn't in the script. Number two, he was told to throw the coals on the city immediately. But as far as the, uh, the text of the chapter 10 is concerned, he waited five years to comply in order, so to speak, that the coals would cool off and not be as devastating to the people and the city of Yerushalayim. And as the Marshal points out on this Gemara, at this point there was a court case whether Gabriel should be punished and exiled. And this is how the court case went. The defence counsel, Gabriel's defence counsel says, look, Gabriel did what he was told. He took the coals and he threw them on the city. The prosecution said, the Sotan said, Gabriel didn't do what he was told. He took the coals from the Chaya. He was told to take them himself. Then he was told to throw the coals on the city immediately. But he waited five years to comply. And then he lied about it. When he said to God, as is quoted in, in Yechezko, I have done exactly, God, as you commanded me to do, which was a lie. So that, that was the evidence that was presented. And the verdict of the court, Gabriel was convicted, given 60 pulses of the Nura, 60 pulses of fire, and exiled from his spot for 21 years. So that's what happened. And we know in the meantime, uh, Doniel needed him. Doniel went on a 20... It just so happened that Doniel was on a 21-year mourning period and he needed help getting rid of Gabriel's replacement. So Gabriel, who's at a loose end because he's been thrown out, comes to help him and everything works out in the end because Gabriel makes the appeal, makes two appeals. One appeal's unsuccessful in relation to appealing on behalf of the women, uh, the Jewish women, but he gives them an opportunity to make an appeal um, directly to God, and he appeals using Daniel's name. And when God hears Daniel's name, he readmits Gabriel, he throws out Dubiel, the oppression of the Jewish people end in Persia, and the second temple is rebuilt after that 21-year period. That was the story. But that isn't that doesn't solve the riddle. The riddle is like this. Gabriel, and again, you won't hear, I don't think you'll hear this from anywhere else. I've, I've never heard anyone else say this. Uh, I, I did explain my uh, understanding of this to one of my rebellion who liked it. So that's uh, adequate praise. So let me just explain to you what I think is going on here. 
Gavriel is an angel. Gavriel was created as one of the two defenders of Israel, together, together with the angel Michal. Uh, Michal is the gentle one. Gavriel does the dirty work. When the Jewish people are in trouble, we know that he devastated the Assyrian army. He, uh, he destroyed the city of Stom and Amara, cities of Stom and Amara. He does the, uh, the dirty work. Uh, Michal is, so to speak, a softer, gentler character who defends the Jewish people from within inside, with inside God's inner circle. But Gabriel was created as the defender of the Jewish people, um, together with Michal, Michael. And in our study of the first ten chapters of Yechezkel, and particularly by Yechezkel's allegorical vision, which we're in the middle of, which started in, verse, in chapter 8, it's gone through chapter 9 already, and through chapter 10, and it will conclude when we start chapter 11, we are shown all the terrible activities that some Jews had been involved in during the closing years of the first temple period before the temple, before the first temple, the base of Middash was destroyed. There was murder, immoral sexual activity, extreme acts of debauchery, paganism, all of them taking place inside the base of Middash itself. There was corruption, there was theft, there was chomos, uh, as we've discussed in earlier Shirim. But as the Gomorrah points out, the percentage of the people involved in all these nefarious activities was the minority of the people. The crime of the majority, as we've discussed on many occasions, the crime of the majority of the people that were not taking part in these types of nefarious activities uh, was that they were silent and didn't criticize the excesses of the minority. Gabriel's story here reflects what happened with the Jewish people in Yerushalayim. And this is how it works. Did the majority of the Jewish people in Yerushalayim keep the Torah more or less? Did they believe in God? The answer to both those questions is yes. Their insubordination was, however, twofold. Just like Gabriel's. Remember, the majority of believing Jews cut corners, as we've discussed. We learned how they could, would sometimes steal in a way that circumvented the halachas of Geneva, of theft, of Chomos. There was bribery, there was corruption, there was a class system, there was plenty of Losh and Hurrah. And that's number one. Number two, when it came to the three cardinal sins being perpetrated by the minority of the people living in the country, and particularly in Yerushalayim, they failed to stand up for God. They kept their own counsel. They didn't express public outrage at the paganism and violence and debauchery that was being committed in the name of Avodah in the name of paganism in Yerushalayim. Gavriel, in this allegorical vision of Yechezkel, is the Jewish people. I'll say that again. Gavriel, in this allegorical vision that Yechezkel is having, he is the Jewish people. This is not a story about Gabriel disobeying God. Angels cannot disobey God. What Yechezkel is shown here is the mistakes of not Gabriel, but he's being shown the mistakes that the Jewish people make. And Gabriel is the leading role, has the leading role in the movie. He's playing the part of the Jewish people. And he's playing the part of the Jewish people with a vital message and a vital answer to our eternal question. 
Why hasn't the third Beis Amigdosh been built yet? Why hasn't Mashiach arrived? The allegorical vision through chapters 8, 9, 10 and 11 seen by Yechezkel. Remember Yechezkel is seeing all these things while he's sitting in Babylonia, in his house in Babylonia. The people, the elders of the Babylonian Jewish community have come to him, asked him, is God, does God still intend to destroy the temple? Because it's been five, nearly six years. It's been six years now since we've been exiled and nothing has happened. And as Yechezka was about to answer, he went into this trance at the beginning of chapter 8, which has gone through chapter 9 and chapter 10. And the essence, the most important message uh, that so far through 8, 9 and 10 is that what Yechezka is being shown is the story of the Jewish people. <clears throat> and Gabriel is the leading man. And we're going to answer these three questions. The base of Migdosh won't be built, and Mashiach will not come until the three thick, or the, the, um, the, the, the two, two or three, but the two most important things can be uh, eliminated from the way we conduct ourselves. Those of us who keep the Torah must eliminate all the little loopholes we enjoy to evade halachas that must govern a just society. We must avoid Lashon Hara. We must avoid Sinas Chinam. We must avoid tax evasion. We must avoid corruption. And we must avoid the terrible plastic system that we still have till today. A society based on the subjective value of Yichus rather than individual merit. It's the scourge, scourge of the religious communities and something that is certainly killing Shiduchim and creating animosity and polarization within the Jewish community. That's number one. Number two, those of us who keep the, the Torah um, must stand up and publicly object to the sins that the wider community, um, uh, the Jewish people and the world uh, that caused the temples, the, the two previous temples, the two previous Bote Migdosh to be destroyed in the first place. The sexual misconduct that pervades our society, the pagan worship of materialism, the murder of unborn children, the advent of assisted suicide, and almost certainly uh, the most heinous of all these sins is Sinas Chinam. Not to mention the many other Torah infringements, but Sinas Chinam is Keneged Kulam. The, the polarization, the hatred that Jews have for themselves, for each other, that is what's got to be repaired. And um, not to mention the many other Torah infringements, both religious and moral ones, that take place in, in our society, that go unanswered but those, by those who should speak up against them. The claim of those of us who keep the Torah in this generation, now listen to this, the claim of those of us who keep the Torah in our generation is the same claim that Gabriel made in, his, in the allegory. Gabriel told God, I have done exactly as you commanded to me. As you commanded me. I picked up the coals and I threw them on Yerushalayim. But what he doesn't say is, yeah, I was told to pick up the coal. I wasn't, 
I, I, I was told to pick up the coals and I let someone else do it. I was told to throw them on Yerushalayim immediately and I waited. And then he goes and tells God, I did exactly what you told me. That's what we do. That's our claim too. We say to God, bring Mashiach, rebuild the base of Middash. We tell God, we're doing what we were commanded to do, everything you told us to do, we're doing. God's response to us is the same as his response to Gabriel in the allegory. No, you aren't. You are doing kachol ashet CVC. You are doing something similar to what I commanded you to do. However, it's a pale imitation of what I expect. And therefore, says God, just like Gabriel was sent into exile from the heavenly court for his duplicity and deception and lies and claiming he'd done something that he never did, or he did it, but he didn't do it in the correct manner, and then lied about it, just like Gabriel was sent into exile from the heavenly court for his duplicity and his deception, we remain in the long exile. Gabriel is us in this allegory. What Gabriel did in the allegory is what we do in, in our lives. We tell God, yeah, we're doing exactly what you want. Except you are not. We hate each other. We polarise. We do a bit of tax fiddling. We talk lush and horror. And then we tell God, you know, we're doing exactly what you told us to. That's not number one. And just like Gabriel's exile, when he was assisting Daniel, was for 21 days. It says 21 days, but it means 21 years. We too have to remind ourselves every year about our continuing exile. As Daniel says, Ad until the completion of three weeks of days. Now he's talking about 21 years. But from our perspective, is 21 days, which represents our annual three-week mourning period um, that we have between the 17th of Tammuz and Tishabav where we mourn the destruction of Yushalayim in the base of Migdosh, in the temple. And we can't understand why the temple hasn't rebuilt. And the answer is clear. Because uh, we're lying. We're lying to ourselves and we're lying to God. And, what else happened to, da- to Gabriel? Gabriel received punishment. 60 pulsa denura. Shishim pulsa denura. 60 pulses of fire. And that's what's been happening to us through 2,000 years of exile. We've been continually burnt, persecuted through this exile until we get this message. After all, Shishim Pulsa Danura, Shishim Pulsa Danura, 60 pulses of fire, is something that we can all relate to. The fire destruction that has engulfed every Jewish community across the globe for 2,000 years. What Gabriel now shows us with his interaction with Donnell is how to get back into the heavenly court. In other words, how the Jews can bring about the ultimate redemption. Gabriel is Yisrael. Gabriel wants to be readmitted into God's presence. Gabriel wants to go back to where he was before. The Jewish people want to go back to where we were before when we entered the land of Israel first time. Remember what the Gemara said earlier. Whilst Gabriel is exiled from the heavenly realm, 
and is assisting Daniel during his 21 years of self-imposed exile and mourning, he attempts to make the case for the Jewish people. Remember how Gavriel started off his first attempt? His first attempt was to quote the posset from Tehillim. Shav lochem kum. It's inappropriate for you women who have to rise early. Kumre achrei who sit up late working hard. Ochle lechem sovin. You have to eat the bread of sorrow, the bread of exile. Ki yitain lidido sheina. Because it's, a, it's more appropriate for God to give his beloved people sleep, rest, to bring them home. And we send that Gabriel's argument from this verse is about the wives of the Torah scholars who get up early in the morning to work, stay up late. And they do this all for the sake of the Torah and for the sake of their husbands and for the sake of their children. That they should have a great education. They do everything for their children, for their husbands. Why does Gabriel pick on the women? The wives of the Torah scholars. Why not just make an appeal on behalf of the Torah scholars themselves, who dedicate themselves to Torah night and day, and sacrifice their sleep for the sake of Torah? The answer is that the women of Israel are the key to the future sustainability of the Jewish people. It's their input, their never-ending workload, that they put into the home that creates a Jewish future. There's, There's a saying my mother used to say to me, a woman's work is never done. And they never complain about that. They just get on with the job. It's men that have men flu. Right? Not women. There's no women flu. There's only men flu. The Torah scholars themselves, on the other hand, rely exclusively on the support of their wives to take care of everything else in order to be able to do their jobs to learn Torah. But unlike the women, whose continued commitment to their duty lasts the whole of their lives and ensures and has always ensured Jewish continuity, Torah scholars are not always successful. That's the truth. The Gemara says, from a thousand students who learn Tanakh, a hundred will emerge capable of going on to the next stage of learning the Talmud. And out of the hundred that emerge to start learning Talmud, only ten will find success in that pursuit. And from those ten who now progress to the next stage, to gain the ability to be more hurrah, to be leaders of the Jewish people, to paskin halacha, to be the leaders of the next generation. Out of, out of that, those ten, only one will succeed. So what the Gemara is saying, out of every thousand men, children, who begin to learn Torah, only one will emerge as a great Torah scholar. The women, on the other hand, are all great Jewish leaders. Because they provide the workload, the culture, the support to ensure that we keep producing those thousands and thousands and thousands of students, generation after generation, that will eventually produce one, two, three great Jewish leaders. And that's why Gabriel's first attempt to unseat the Persian angel, Dubiel, is based on the merits of the women of Israel. But, as we saw, the heavenly court rejects his first argument. They reject his first attempt as having insufficient merit. But, they do agree to let Gabriel address address God directly. Gabriel's next argument is directed directly at God and involves the one in a thousand men that we just talked about. As I said, 
A thousand children come to the Cheder. Out of that, a hundred will proceed to be able to learn Talmud. Out of those a hundred who learn Talmud, ten will be successful. Out of those ten that will be successful, only one will rise to the top. Now Gabriel addresses God and addresses God in the name of one of those one in a thousand men, one in a generation man. In fact, one in a hundred generation man. But start the long road of Torah study that eventually reaches the summit, not only of learning Torah, because to become the great leader of Israel, it's not just the learning of the Torah, it's the Midot. You've got to have everything else uh, thrown in that makes a great Godol, a great Jewish leader. Gabriel addresses God and uses the example of the Daniel. Daniel is the one in a thousand. Daniel, this is the product. This is the product of the women. This is the product of the men. Between them, the men and the women, they produce this one man. And that should be enough. And Gabriel addresses God directly. Ribona Shalolah. If all the wise men, as I said before, quoting the Gemara, if all the wise men of other nations were placed on one side of the scale, and Daniel Ishchamudos, Daniel, this unique individual, were on the other side of the scale, he would outweigh them all. And God said, Who is the one who is singing the praise of my child? The heavenly court said to God, Ribona Shalom, it is Gabriel. God said to them, let him come from behind the partition and take his station again and replace Dubiel. Gabriel's second attempt to reclaim his place in the celestial hierarchy is a success. As Daniel told, as Gabriel told Daniel, Min hayom orishon, from the first day I've tried, it's you, you're the one, you're the one that's got me back up there. You're the one man in this generation that's got me back into where I am. And, meaning that Gabriel was finally permitted to enter from behind the partition because he pushed Daniel's name in front of God's eyes. Gabriel used Daniel's 21-year vow of prayer, mourning, fasting to get reinstated. Ani bossi vidvorecho. You are the example. You are the one that can defend the Jewish people and prove my point. At that point, God said to the other angels, let Gabriel ascend and let Dubiel be thrown out. So what's the nimshal here? Gabriel is the Jewish people. The less in, there's no Gabriel disobeying God. This is the story of the Jewish people. The lesson here from the allegory of the Gomorrah regarding Gabriel's apparent removal from the heavenly court for various misdemeanors is like this. This is the nimshah. This is what the parable means. Gabriel is the Jewish people, sent into exile, punished, persecuted, repeatedly over the generations, convincing themselves that they are doing God's will while making two major errors. As I outlined before, I'll repeat them now. Religious Jews who should be setting an example. We don't. We cut corners. We talk Lush and horror. We act in a way that allows us to circumvent the halachas. We always find a way of circumventing the halacha. Disturbing the spirit of the Torah. By rationalizing that what we are doing is not really wrong. 
like what Gabrielle did. We walk the walk, but we don't talk the talk. Or we talk the talk, but we don't walk the walk. We have to do them both. We're still not averse to a bit of corruption, and that extends across the whole gamut of the Jewish people. With no one's averse to a bit of lush and horror, no one's averse to a bit of sinas chinom. We still have this class system where we look down on certain members of society. They're not rich enough. Their, their skin's not the right colour. They don't come from the right family. You can't have a shidduch with this one because he comes from a divorced family. We, we got all these hang-ups still. God doesn't appreciate any of this. That's number one. And when it comes to serious Torah and moral offences perpetrated by people, we're not prepared to stand up and probably condemn it. And that's why the society as we know it is on a spiral, a moral spiral into the dustbin. We then claim to God in the guise of Gabriel, yeah, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur or Sisi Kasher Tzimisani. How, how is it the base of Mingish isn't built? We're doing exactly what you told us. Why is the Mashiach here? Why do we have the three weeks, the 21 days? or the corresponding to the 21 years of Daniel. We're doing exactly what you wanted us to do. God's reply is, no, you aren't. You're doing kershol at kachol You're doing something similar, but it's, you've not hit the bullseye yet. Nowhere near. So Gabriel's solution to this problem, his problem, our problem, is the one we must adopt. It's a two-stage appeal. To the heavenly court. Just like Gabriel did. Stage one. We must create a solid family foundation. Based on a Torah way of life. This can only be achieved when the chief architects of the Jewish people. And the Jewish future are the women. Who are working non-stop. To ensure that the next generation of Jews. Have not only the knowledge of a Torah way of life. But they are imbued with a sense of their mother's work ethic. Her honesty and our homespun sense of what it means to be a Jew, and the responsibilities that goes with being a Jew. Responsibilities to both man and to God. But that's not enough. That's not enough to get Gavriel, to get Israel back into the heavenly realm, to end the exile. That's just enough to get God's attention. God's attention. You still need stage two. Then, Gavriel, we, getting God's attention, we must provide God with and show God that we have produced the type of Jews that stage one is designed to produce. People like Daniel, someone who was born with the combined merits of all the selfless women of Israel, who brought up generations of Jews hoping to produce that one great superstar. Someone like Daniel, someone who also has in him the combined merits of the 999 children who started off on that road of learning Torah, who tried their hardest to be that person, but unfortunately failed to achieve the ultimate level of Torah, of Midos, of Yerush Shemayim. That what their, their, their sacrifices, their learning doesn't go to waste. It gets added to all the Midos, all the Zechuyot, the merits of the women who brought all these children up to want to learn Torah. Eventually it will produce a person like Daniel, a once in a generation person 
who is prepared to sacrifice everything for the Jewish people and sac- sacrifice everything for God. And to continue to sacrifice and set an example for all Jews to follow for as long as it takes to end the exile and the persecution of the Jewish people forever. Daniel tells us the sacrifice that that entails. In those days, I, Daniel, mourning for 21 years, I ate no, no proper bread, and food, nothing entered my mouth. Yom Kippur. I combined the 21 days of, that we have into a 21 year period of Yom Kippur. When God pointed to Daniel and said to Daniel, if all the wise men of the nations were placed on one side of the scale, all the wise men on the planet, and Daniel, Ishchamudas, your man, Daniel, was placed on the other side, he would outweigh them all. God says, bring him back. Bring Gabriel back. You're quite right. We've got the superstar. That's all we wanted. One superstar that can show the way to the rest of the Jewish people. Meaning, this is the crux of the allegory. If the combined efforts... <clears throat> of the Jewish people can produce someone like Daniel, then it's time for the Jewish people to be returned from exile, and all the punishments, the, the 60 pulsa denura, all the fire of the Holocaust, of the three Holocausts, all the punishments, all the sufferings of the millennia, can end. Gabriel, in this analogy again, <coughs> is Israel. Daniel is the prototype Jew. A Jew who is the product of all the merits of all the accumulated sacrifices of all the Jewish women throughout history who have toiled to bring up children to want to live a life dedicated to God. He's a Jew who is the product of all the accumulated merits of all the Jewish men that have striven to become great Torah scholars but just failed to reach the summit. All that accumulated merit throughout our history, is never lost. It's tallied up by God and will eventually produce a Daniel. Someone that reaches the summit of learning, someone that reaches the summit of Torah, someone that reaches the summit of humility, someone that reaches the summit of sacrifice, someone that reaches the summit of midot, someone who reaches the summit of dedication to God, Someone who is prepared to sacrifice everything for the Jewish people and for God. He's prepared to extend a three-week period into a 21-year period of mourning. He's prepared to do everything. We need to produce that person. We can produce that person. Because that person ends the exile of Gabriel. That person ends the exile of Gabriel who is, in this allegory, the Jewish people. And he ends it forever and brings the Gabriel into the inner courtyard of God, meaning it brings redemption of all the Jewish people. And that individual, that individual, that Daniel, we have a name for him. He's called the Mashiach. And we have the capabilities of producing him. As the Gomorrah Sanhedrin says, 
The Gemara, this is the Gemara in Sanhedrin on Dat Sadi, Sadi Ches, page 98. The Gemara there is discussing, if you want to know what type of person the Mashiach is going to be, says Rav, If the Mashiach can be compared to someone living in our generation, he'll be a person like our holy Rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi who was renowned for sanctity, piety, and his Torah knowledge. But, Emin Messiah, if the Mashiach, the persona of the Mashiach, can be compared to someone who lived in a previous generation and is now, has now passed away, could go in Daniel Ishchamudos. He will be a person like Daniel Ishchamudos, God's beloved man. The, the man that Gabriel, the man that Gabriel is, is Israel, the man that Israel has got the ability to produce, if they just knuckle down and pre- not pretend that they're doing what God wants, but sharpening up. As Rashi says there, the man who miraculously escaped from the den of lions and was the greatest of all the Hasidim. Great, and that doesn't mean a Hasid. The greatest, most pious man that ever lived. So that is, to my mind, that is the story here of Gabriel. There's no Gabriel here disobeying God. Gabriel is Israel. And Gabriel is fooling himself. Israel are fooling themselves into believing that what they're doing, yeah, we're doing exactly what God wants. No, we're not. We're not. We're doing something similar, but we're allowing our natural um, instincts to rationalize the fact that, you know, we get, a bit, get away, it doesn't matter, you know, a bit of lush and horror here, a bit of corruption there, a bit of tax evasion there. I don't like this guy. I don't know why I don't like him, just don't like him. Sinas Chino. That's got to be, that's got to be removed. And we have to be pushing Jewish education. We can't be condemning people because, you know, throwing people out because, you know, they're not as bright as us, or they don't come from the same class as us, or they've got skin, different skin, they're Jewish people, they've got different skin colour, or they're Sephardi, or they're Ashkenazi, or they're left wing, or they're right wing, or they're secular, or they're this, or they're that, or they're the other, Whatever reason we can come, come up with to hate them, to dislike them, that's not going to impress God. That's not going to produce the Daniel Ishchamudos. That's not going to produce this superstar that's going to lead us back, lead Gabriel, lead the Jewish people back to the promised land and redemption. And I think that is the message of this story of Gabriel. But it's the message for, for Yechezkel. But that's the message, that's the allegory of that Yechezkel is being shown here with the story of Gabriel seemingly being insubordinate and seemingly being cast away into exile. It's we who are in exile, it's we who are being punished and the way back into God's inner circle for the Jewish people, meaning redemption and Mashiach, is as I've just described, to to sharpen us up, 
So don't don't get rid of all these uh, hang-ups that we've got, and to and then we'll produce we'll produce a Daniel, we'll produce a Mashiach. So I think that's the um, I think that's the allegory. Uh, as again, I've never heard anyone say it this way before, um, but I I I'm not, I, I'm as convinced as I can possibly be that uh, that is what's going on in this chapter. How many musicians in generation? Musicians and generations it took to produce Bath and from there. Yeah, exactly right. Okay, that's it for today. We're ready to start. Um, we're ready to start chapter eleven, which is the fourth and final part of uh, Yechezkel's vision. We'll do that next week. I hope everyone enjoyed today. It was sort of a one-off shear uh, based on a lot of my uh, intuition regarding what was going on in that chapter. If anybody's got a question, now's the time to ask. Um, but uh, if not, uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And um, we'll see you all, please God, in health and happiness. Um, next week, have a great Chag in the meantime. Uh, great Shavuos. And um, we'll see you all next Monday, please God, um, uh, in health and happiness. Call to everybody. And Chag Good night.